Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining today as we are back to our Live With Certainty series. Before I open today's class, I want to thankfully acknowledge today's sponsor. The class is dedicated so that Hashem might bless Yaakov ben Sorah with a speedy, complete healing of the Fuhr Shlema, and that Hashem might bless Chaya Chana, the daughter of Masha Perl, Dovber, the son of Masha Perl, Yosef Yitzchak, the son of Masha Perl, and finally, Jonas and David, the son of Masha Perl, with good health. Hashem should bless them, that they should become happily married, and they should be blessed with children. Thank you. So, the seeker. <laughs> We're all seeking success. Who doesn't want to succeed? Who doesn't want to be rich and famous? Who doesn't want to enjoy life? Who doesn't want to have their dreams fulfilled? We're all seekers. But far too often, we're barking up the wrong tree. We're looking in the wrong direction. That doesn't mean we won't find success sometimes despite it all. But it does mean that when success comes our way, it's not because we sought for it in the wrong place. By and large, these classes or episodes are standalone. You might be joining us for the first time. Okay, so it's number 13 or the 14th class in the series because we started with a prologue. You can listen and learn and be uplifted by the Torah we will study today. At the same time, to be sure, this is a series. And you'll best benefit if you take the time to listen to the previous episodes. But specifically, Today's teaching is really a continuation of part 12. It's very, very much the, if you will, second half of the circle. I want to begin by acknowledging this uh, newly published Shar HaBetochen, it's a Chayenu Kahas production, and it has helped me in trying to navigate my way <laughs> through what is probably some of the most difficult shiurim I've ever, ever had to prepare. This is, not, this is not simple or easy to figure out, and at the same time, I believe that there are certain mistakes that are made here. And here is something that I want to point out. The translator makes the supposition that Rabbeinu Bechayah believed 
if you quote, and this is found on page 7 under misguided trust, if a person relies on anything other than God, he is doomed to fail. I have two comments. Number one, I don't believe Rabbi Yochai says that. Number two, factually it's not true. <laughs> there are people who rely on all the wrong things and they're successful despite it all. It's impossible that Rabbeinu Bahaya would make such a claim, which flies in the face of reality. The Shar HaBetochen is not a book of delusion. It's a book of Torah Emet. And I know this is correct. I know this is true because I saw it openly in the words of the commentary of Radak and the Sephorno, as I will share with you. And these great Rishonim aren't wrong. Here's what I believe Rabbeinu Bechaya is saying. You should know the source of your success so that you don't rely or trust the wrong thing. If it makes no difference, who cares? I didn't say it doesn't make a difference. It's not an exact science. It's possible that somebody will rely on the wrong thing and succeed anyway, because for whatever reason, that's the way God decided it should be. There is no guarantee that if a person doesn't have betochen, that he or she is going to fail. There is a guarantee that betochen makes a positive difference and enables us to receive Hashem's beneficence in a direct fashion. It is possible that without betochen a person will succeed anyway. It is not probable or improbable. That just depends on however Hashem will decide to make things happen. You have forfeited the role you were supposed to play. However, if a person places his trust in Hashem, then you serve to proverbially open the faucet. You have done your part. You've put your best foot forward. You've created a vehicle or envelope for the blessings of Hashem Yisbarach. Are there guarantees? No. There are never guarantees for anything. But if we place our trust in Hashem, then we have done the wisest and best thing we can to be able to bring success into our lives. I once asked an older and wiser fellow, you know, we talk about mitzvahs and the rewards for mitzvahs and the consequences for inappropriate behavior. But let's be real. There are good people who suffer and there are bad people who prosper. So we say, well, you know, we don't really understand that. Okay, so if we don't really understand it, then, then the, whole equ the equation doesn't work. And he said something which I found personally fascinating, intuitive, and I'm, I want to share it with you. He said to me, no, no, no. He said it does work. The equation is real. It's just not an absolute science because we don't know all the variables. 
And he shared with me a fascinating vignette, which I have no way of corroborating, but he seemed to have heard this from a reliable source. There was a sole survivor, Holocaust survivor, from his entire family. Nobody else made it. And this person had the privilege of a private audience with the Rebbe. And he was distraught for obvious reasons, but also for less obvious reasons. He was distraught because he lived with a tremendous amount of, of pain and agony and emotional suffering and sadness that racked his entire being. But he was also distraught because whilst he maintained this agnostic persona, clearly, deep down, he was a strong believer, as you'll see in a moment. So he, he said to the Rebbe, of my entire family, pious people, sensitive, spiritual people, he said, I was the black sheep. I was the only one who didn't keep Shabbat, he said. I was the only member of my family who abandoned the ways of our ancestors. And he said to the Rebbe, and I'm the survivor? Where's fairness? Where's, where's the truth? Now, if he was really agnostic, I don't think this would have bothered him. I think like most people who claim not to believe, deep down he felt a very strong sense of belonging to Hashem. He wasn't a non-believer. He was angry. That's very different. You can't be angry at something that doesn't exist. So he tells the Rebbe, how is this possible? How, he says to the Rebbe, can you, as a rabbi, as a Torah sage, as a believer, how can you explain that? And the Rebbe said something quite fascinating. The Rebbe said, for reasons aside from observance or lack thereof, it was decreed in heaven that you would have longevity and that they would only be on planet Earth for a short amount of time. Apparently, the Rebbe said this with an, with an air of authority, as a, as a Rebbe can. He said they weren't destined to live longer. That was the years Hashem had given them. You, on the other hand, were given more years, not because you earned or didn't earn those years, and they didn't lose those years because they deserved any kind of consequence or punishment. The Pasuk, the verse says, Yamim Yitzaru, Hashem forms days. Why is it that some people will live to 70 and other people will live to 90? Does it mean that they're necessarily being punished or rewarded? We can't say that. We don't know why Hashem allots certain people a certain amount of time. We don't know why Hashem allots certain people wealth and affluence or an easy life where other people suffer from poverty or other challenges or difficulties or ailments. We don't really know why that's true. We don't know why some people are easygoing and others are anxious and stressed out. 
It's a personality thing. We don't know why some are gifted with a happy disposition. And some are profoundly unhappy just about all the time. This has everything to do with goral, if you will, the luck of the draw, so to speak. Why it is that Hashem places certain people in certain circumstances or selects them for a particular mission, purpose, or goal in life is not the result of the efforts they make, necessarily. In other words, there are other variables at play. The Gemara tells a story of one of the great sages who was poverty-stricken, and his wife cried out in anguish, I can't take it anymore. She said, please, pray, do something. And the Gemara Masechatanit records that he prayed, and indeed, this miraculous chunk of gold appeared. It had the image of a leg of a table. This may all be a metaphor, I don't know. But he had a dream that night, and in the dream, their proverbial table, a metaphorical table in heaven, in Ganeiden, was missing a leg. And so he said to his wife, apparently we're receiving that which is destined for the other world in this world. Are you sure you want that? And she said, no, I don't think it's a good idea. And the Gemara records this proverbial conversation between this great holy man and, and heaven in which he's told, I can make you rich, but it requires me to start the world all over again. Because the trillions of things which are right now all interlocking, as in that idea of the, the butterfly, is it called phenomenon or the butterfly effect? A butterfly flaps his wings on the South China Sea and there's a rainstorm in Canada. Everything directly causes, there's a cause and effect with trillions of interlocking details at every single moment. And the notion that all of that can be choreographed is impossible to fathom or understand. It's probably the greatest issue for any person of faith to believe in Ashgach is that everything, everything is precise and by design. And yet, there's trillions or octillions of details all happening at the same time and happening for decades, centuries, leading us up to this moment. And how could that all be choreographed? It's impossible for the human mind to fathom it. That's That's only within the realm of the infinitude of God. The point I want to make is this. If you have brown hair or blonde hair, it's not the result of a choice you made. If you go white or go bald, young or not, it's not the result of a choice you made. It's not a consequence. For whatever reason, in the grander scheme of things, in order for the world to come to the Dira B'tachtonim, this one has to be tall and that one has to be short and this one has to be fat and this one has to be skinny and this one has to be blonde or brown and so on and so forth. And I'm just using these as examples. This one suffers from serious health problems from a young age, and the other one has perfect health. It's not always necessarily the result or the consequence of the choices we make. 
So it is possible that somebody's wealthy and somebody's successful, but it has nothing to do with their acumen. It has nothing to do with their devious ways, with their harnessing of their mind in a criminal fashion or just in a duplicitous fashion or just in a cunning way. That's not why they were successful. And the proof is that there are so many people who have laid these exquisite plans, elaborate schemes, which came to naught. So why lay the elaborate plan or scheme? Just trust in Hashem and do your part. And that's the thesis that we developed in the previous episode. Is it necessary that I'm going to be doomed? I don't think that's correct. I think it's a misunderstanding of the basic principles here. We have... The, the uh, translator and elu- uh, elucidator says that uh, we're going to hear about young lions, which refers to strong people who rely on their strength, and that they are destined to be poor and hungry. N- not necessarily. The point that Ben will make is that their destiny is not, does not hinge on their strength. Their strength is not the reason for their success. There's a world of difference between the two. One is delusional and can lead somebody to say, this is ridiculous. It's not, it's, not, it's not so. Or the other can help a person understand what this is about and actually develop and nurture proper betochen, proper trust in Hashem. So with no further ado, I say that with the greatest of respect, and I, I love this book, it's fantastic, and it's been very helpful to me, but, you know, got to be what it's got to be. In the previous uh, episode, we talked about a verse that's found in the ninth chapter of the prophecies of Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, that in, in the 22nd verse of that chapter, Yirmiyahu speaks about chokhma, wisdom, gvura, strength, and oisher, and wealth. And the commentary, Paslechem, links that verse to what Rabbeinu Bechaya is about to tell us here, although he himself, Rabbeinu Bechaya, does not in any way reference that verse. And he says, their Shtayim Shehim Arba, as we talked about previously, they represent two different possibilities within wisdom. So, im not if a person does things smartly. You are supposed to do the smart thing. But if you invest in the time into developing the scheme and cunning, clearly you think that that's actually what's doing it for you. Big mistake. We talked about koyach gufei vehishtad lusei. There's the, the, the power, the force of your talent, wherewithal, or ability, and then there's the efforts, excessive efforts being made. So he says, here's what you do know. If you're going to put a tremendous amount of effort, if you're going to invest every ounce of your strength, I can promise you, says Rabbeinu Bechai, you will get tired. That's for sure. Whether you be successful, I don't know. It's quite possible that you won't reach your goal. He doesn't promise you won't reach the goal. You may, in fact, reach the goal. But is every billionaire is a big tzaddik? Every one of them has betochen? 
How could it be that they relied on their cunning and their wisdom and they got what they wanted? And that's what Hashem decided. I don't know why Hashem decided that Bezos or Gates should be billionaires. I don't know. It's actually not my business. My business is, am I doing what Hashem expects of me? My business is not to say, well, I'm doing better than somebody else. Perhaps. Perhaps Hashem gave me different talents. The question that that person will have to answer is, are they utilizing the wherewithal, the talent, the ability, and the opportunity that Hashem gave them fully? That's between them and God. I have no right to judge. The only one that I have to point a finger at, the only one that I have to make demands of, is myself. It's easy for me to find somebody who's less capable and achieving less than I and say, well, I'm doing better than him. It's just not true. It's not, it's not accurate. That approach is devoid of integrity. The only thing that I need to do is ask myself the question, have I done my best? And when it comes to business, your best is not the cunning and it's not the effort meaning the excessive effort or the cunning or the devious nature of things which is not necessarily going to earn you Hashem's blessing you got to do it smart you have to make a smart investment did you do your research? well if you didn't you relied on a miracle that's no good are you going to choose the stocks you buy like a, a spin the wheel thing? <laughs> that's that's actually wrong. As we learned in our previous episode, we had a Gemara that told us clearly that we can't rely on miracles. We can't rely on happenstance or chance and say, well, you know, I'm just, I don't have to make any efforts. I'm just going to spin the wheel, do whatever it is, and yeah, God will just make things work right. There's a statement which is made in the Zohar, and I want to share it with you. Because it really drives the point home. It's a statement about Avraham Avinu. Father Abraham, a man of great faith and great trust in Hashem. God sent Abraham off on a mission. He said, leave home, leave your family, and head off into the wild blue yonder. Where are we going, says Abraham? I'll tell you. To the place I will show you. Avraham Avinu does finally come to this place. He's not exactly welcomed. And then it gets worse. As soon as he comes, there's a drought that results in economic collapse. And guess who they blame? Well, clearly, it's this guy's luck. When he arrived, all the trouble began. So now he becomes the first one to experience, yes, anti-Semitism. He's being blamed and scapegoated for the world's problems or for the problems in that part of the world. And the bigger problem is, besides all the animosity that's directed against him, he actually doesn't know how he's going to survive. Clearly, he's got to go and find sustenance. He's heading down into Mitzrayim. And then he realizes he's got an issue. His wife, Sari Menu, is ravishingly beautiful. And he's heard about this place. They don't live morally. They, they're careful about certain sins since the great flood. And other sins, you know, not, not very important. In a word, Avraham Avinu realizes that his wife will be coveted and eventually taken by force. But they would never commit adultery. 
Well, if they won't commit adultery, how are they going to take her? They'll make her available. How does that happen? Well, Avram's not going to divorce his wife when they make a demand like that. But they can find other ways of eliminating Avram. In other words, Avram realizes his life is in mortal danger. Going to Egypt with Sarah likely means he'll be rubbed out so Sarah becomes available. And then, you know, we don't know how that happened. Somehow, a load fell from a high place that happened to land and said, we're so sorry. <laughs> Can I see you next Tuesday? This is what Avram is faced with. So you're going to say, well, Hashem told him to do this. Trust in Hashem. Avram didn't do that. First of all, he hid Sarah. He put her in a crate, a packing crate. That didn't work. But he made Sarah say that Avram is my brother. And Avram kind of figured they'd make offers, they'd give him all kinds of money, and they'd try to convince him because in that part of the world, unfortunately in some parts still today, a brother has absolute power over his sister. He's the big brother, and he'll stick handle the people until they skedaddle out of there. They'll survive, they'll get some provisions, and they'll disappear, but at least nobody will rub him out because killing him is not going to help. So Avraham says, I'm her brother. She says, he's my brother. Everything is, so to speak, they have an ironclad plan. What happens? Oh, it doesn't, doesn't go very well. <laughs> the Pharaoh himself ends up abducting Sarah. He turns her into the Duchess of Goshen, and he prepares the public for what will be a great royal marriage between the Pharaoh and the Duchess of Goshen. So Avram does his part, and he has no anxiety whatsoever. What happens? Hashem saves Avram. But the question is, if a miracle happened to save Avram, why did he bother going through this ridiculous situation? Why did he bother hiding Sarah? She gets caught because the tax man is looking to see what he's bringing in. And then he has to, she has to lie or say a white lie. It's my brother. It's my sister. Hashem's going to save her. So the Zohar says... Vayoymer Avram, this is found in the Zoyer of Parshas Vayero, on page 111, side B. Taninan, we learned, Why did Avram say, She's my sister, because a person is not permitted to rely on miracles. And if Hashem does a miracle, as He did for Sora and Avram, so that doesn't mean you can expect that another miracle will necessarily happen. He shouldn't rely on another miracle. Guess what? He didn't. In fact, when he came to a different part of that geography, where he was faced with a similar problem, he didn't even have the conversation with Sarah this time. It was a given. He said, it's my sister. And poor Sarah got abducted by a different monarch this time. Hashem protects her. But you see that Avram didn't assume God made a miracle the first time. He'll probably make a miracle the second time. Avram Avinu did his part. Now, between us, did Avram's part help? <laughs> did, his, did his idea work? And the simple answer is, I mean, yes and no. 
On one hand, he wasn't killed because they would have killed him to free her, so he wasn't killed. But on the other hand, Sarah was abducted anyway. Indeed. And he trusted in Hashem, and a miracle happened. But he did his part. And this, my dear friends, is the paradigm for that of which we speak. You must do your part. The rest is in Hashem's hands. Sarah Imenu wasn't saved, per se, because Avraham came up with an elaborate scheme presenting her as his sister. Sarah Imenu was saved because Hashem decided to save Sarah, because a miracle happened. But Abraham had to do his part even the second time around. Because if a person does otherwise, then in that case, if he expects that a miracle, sorry, the Zohar reads, if a person by his own volition enters into a position of danger, as in don't do your part because God is going to take care of things, then and he's there and a miracle will happen. Then he can lose or subtract from whatever merits is his, as we learned in the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, and as I shared with you the explanation of the Maharal as to why, in fact, that's the case. So this is a prime example of our need to do the natural thing. Interestingly, the Zohar on the very next page says something very similar. This time, Avraham Avinu does do something, which is actually off the charts. Lot, his wayward nephew, is captured. They're going to make sport of Lot because he looks just like Avram. And Lot's affiliation with Abraham, the man of faith, will now be an opportunity for those who mock Avram and his faith to make sport of Lot, probably to kill him, and in this way to demean and weaken the influence of Avram Avinu, who's promulgating God consciousness. Avram sets out to do battle with an axis of evil. Four kings who defeated five kings. Mighty armies. He's got a few hundred people with him. It's impossible for him to succeed. So the Zohar says, this does not mean that Avram Avinu relied on a miracle. In fact, he didn't declare war on the mighty axis of kings saying that he would defeat them. Instead, Avram did his part to save Lot. This very question is asked. We learn that you're not allowed to place yourself. So you can't put yourself in danger. And you can't rely on miracles. A page earlier says the Zohar. So what's going on over here? Here Avraham Avinu puts himself in harm's way. Declaring war on an axis of evil. In the midst of a regional conflict. So the Zohar says, Avraham Avinu did not enter the fray as a military player. He wasn't seeking to become embroiled in what was a regional war. He didn't rely on a miracle. It was the pain of Lot that forced him to do something. He couldn't sit unfolded hands. He couldn't just say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. He said, there's got to be something I can do. 
So if I go and I see and I try, somehow God will help me succeed. And once again, here we see this notion of you have to do something. Avraham Avinu does arm those people, just by the way. And he is hoping that somehow he'll be able to pull off a guerrilla attack and free Lot from his captivity. In the end, Hashem makes extraordinary miracles happen and Avraham Avinu defeats mighty armies. But that was never his intention or goal. What else was he to do? He had to do something. And he actually laid plans that were somewhat reasonable. So we can see very clearly from the Zohar that a person is required to do their part. Will that be the source of your success? Absolutely not. And as we continue now, we learned previously about wisdom. And the, the uh, Chivas Alvava said that we see with regard to wisdom, we have this verse, this Pasuk that says, He traps clever people in their cunning and shrewdness. So your cunning is no guarantee for your success. In fact, it may be the very cause for your failure. It may prove to be your very undoing. And now we move from Chochma, we move to Gvura. So here we see in the next verse, and once again I'm going to, um, going back to the English translation, it says, This verse is born as a proof that man cannot rely on his plans, however shrewd they may be. I don't think that's correct. I'm sorry. If the Paslechem is right, and I think he is, the first verse speaks about Chochma. The second verse speaks about gvura, about strength. It's a quote from Ecclesiastics, the ninth chapter of Kohelet. And it reads, let's go through it in its literal iteration. Shavti v'ro'o tachat Hashemesh. I returned. That's the literal meaning. And I saw under the sun. That the race does not belong to the swift. And the mighty do not, so to speak, own victory. War is not theirs. And also, also the wise will not necessarily have bread. It doesn't mean the wise won't have bread. It says they don't necessarily have bread. How do I know that? <laughs> well, I know that because that's what the Mepharshim say. Firstly, I'm, I'm critiquing the book, but I'm not doing that on my own. The Pat Lechem says, ha the first verse, the verse that comes from Ecclesiastics, Loket um, Chachamim, which is a verse from, from uh, Job, pardon me, from Eov, in the fifth chapter, the 13th verse, that proves that wisdom or cunning is not going to be the reason for your success. Now he says, Ve'acharkach says the Paslechem, Me'viraya, he brings a proof, on the limitations or the falling short of strength. 
because he says shafti vira'o, and the emphasis here is loy lagibirim hamolchama. It's really this verse is quoted in its entirety, but it's not about the race and it's not about the bread. It's about the mighty and the battles. Just because you're strong doesn't mean you win. And strength could be brute strength, strength could be cunning, strength can be wherewithal, strength can be talent, ability. You know, you have a strength in a certain area. That's no guarantee you're going to be successful. Does it mean you won't be successful? No. In fact, as we developed the thesis previously, Hashem created a world in which everything appears to behave in a natural order. It will appear that those who are wise are successful in business, those who are cunning. It will appear that those who are mighty will win the war. But of course, there are so many instances of the smart and the shrewd, the devious and the cunning who are entrapped with their own wisdom. So you can't assume, well, so, well statistically speaking, ah, statistically speaking, actuarially speaking, the likelihood, that notion of likelihood, or statistically speaking, is factually and scientifically incorrect. And I'll give you a simple example. It is a scientific fact. Any perfectly logical mathematical equation that if I throw a coin up in the air, there's a 50-50 chance of it landing, heads or tails. And if I throw it up a second time after it landed heads, there is the same 50-50% chance that it's going to be heads or tails. If I get heads 10 times in a row, the 11th time I throw it up has the same exact 50% chance. It's not, well, if you threw it up 10 times and you got heads, chances are you're going to get heads again. Assuming that things aren't weighted and it isn't actually doctored, if it's really just a toss-up, the chances are always 50-50. People will say, so if I do this cunning thing, so nine times out of 10 it succeeded. Maybe. But that's not why you succeeded. The success didn't come from the cunning. The success came from Hashem. That's what Torah teaches. It might appear to come from the cunning. That's part of God's plan. It appears that there's no God. That's also part of His plan. The world, by nature, is a helm, an obfuscation and a concealment. Hashem arranges it that way. It looks like your cunning did it. Except that it's just not true. Number one, it's impossible to explain why sometimes the cunning did work and sometimes the cunning didn't work. He said, ah, well, you know, circumstances. Oh, I see. So you're not the master of your destiny. So circumstances can happen. Well, who's in charge of that? Who decides that? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Aha. So then the source of success ultimately, or the decisor, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So why would you be cunning? Just be smart. Why would you, why would you be devious? Just do the intelligent thing. Why do the intelligent thing? Why do anything? Because that's what Hashem wants. That's part of the natural order that we are commanded to live within. Otherwise, we're reaching for miracles. We're not permitted to do that. Not because God can't do miracles. That's not the way Hashem intended life to be. Avram Avinu couldn't rely on a miracle. He lived with miracles. 
His entire saga is one enormous miracle. Everything that happened with Avram is supernatural. But he didn't rely on those miracles. He always did his part. And then he relied on Hashem. As a well-known Air Force pilot turned businessman and chassid once said, you plan and you plan and then you plan. You prepare, you prepare and then you prepare. And then he said, and then you rely on Hashem, which is the only true source of success. Why the planning? Why the preparing? That's what Hashem wants. That's what Torah asks of us. Does it mean that if somebody relies on their acumen or on their strength that they'll fail? I'm sorry. It doesn't say that. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar never says that. He never makes that claim. And it's a false thing to say. It's not true. There are people who don't rely on Hashem and are very successful. It is possible that there's somebody who relies on Hashem and for whatever reason, Hashem decides they shouldn't be successful. But our job is to rely on Hashem and to trust in Hashem. And as we'll soon see, when you rely and trust in Hashem, you're able to make miracles happen. Not by virtue of relying on miracles, by virtue of doing your part and placing your trust in the singular source of success and sustenance. So this next verse is a proof for strength, says the Pas Lechem. He makes that very, very clear. Let's take a look at the commentaries on this verse from Ecclesiastics. Shavti v'ra'o. I, I returned and, and looked. What, is that? what does that really mean? It's a euphemism. Mitsudas David says, Chazarti, I, I, I came back to look at things again. Vera'iti. And here, says King Solomon in his wisdom, here's what I noticed. Haradifa, the pursuit, the running really fast. It didn't help those who were light-footed. That, that wasn't what won or carried the day. He says, The wisdom didn't help. The strength, pardon me, didn't help. He says, But the past Lechem says, We already talked about Chachma previously. That's the first thing we addressed. The reason to bring this verse is because we're addressing Gvura. Here's what the Sepharno says. A very, very powerful message. He says, aren't we the masters of our own destiny because we have the freedom to choose? Didn't Hashem give us that ability? It's not so simple. The Sephorno says, Even though I, Rabbi Avadja Sephorno, myself said earlier, that God gives freedom of choice to humanity. He says, 
What has Shlomo HaMelech returned to see? He's returned to see that despite the fact that God gives people choice, that choice is only for things which are in relationship to Hashem and, and the thing that things we're supposed to do. In the words of the Sephorno, Zulati Bedvarim Shehem Bnegmul Vaonesh, the things which you are rewarded for or suffer the consequences for or are punished for. Those are the choices we make. In other words, the things that are Yiddishkeit related. I didn't choose to wear this tie today. It's predictable. There's a whole slew of things that led me to choose this tie today. Even if I couldn't have predicted which tie I was going to choose. It's not a mitzvah to wear a gray tie or a blue tie. It's, it's irrelevant. That means my choice in it is irrelevant. Everything is relevant. Somehow this is a part of Dira B'tachtonim and somehow that's a part of Hashem's plan that I should be wearing a gray tie today. I have no idea why. Or wearing a gray suit today. But the fact remains that I didn't choose to do it because it's not a mitzvah. I'm not going to be rewarded or punished for wearing a gray suit or a gray tie today. I will be rewarded for putting on tefillin today. I'm probably not going to get much of a reward for it because it wasn't very hard for me to do and it's almost second nature for me and I couldn't imagine, God forbid, not putting on film today. But I'm still going to be remunerated in some way. It's a positive thing I did. I chose to learn Hasidus before davening today. That was a little harder, a little less natural. Probably I, that was a, a harder choice to make and I get maybe an ounce more credit for that. You see what I'm saying? To run really fast to win the race, that's, that's not a choice per se. Hashem decided who's going to win the race. Well, if Hashem decided to win the race, why should I even enter the race? Because you need to do your part. And how should I run? As fast as you can. Using every ounce of strength and wherewithal. And then? <laughs> and then you trust in Hashem. The swift or light-footedness is not but when you the race. Although you had to invest every ounce of light-footedness and swift strength to be able to compete. Does it mean that the swift won't win the race? No. It doesn't mean that. It means there's no guarantee that the swift will win the race. Because you can't rely on swiftness or strength alone. And here we move into the real, I think, the real like a climax of this. The next verse is the verse that will speak to us about strength, but really also about wisdom the seeker. We're all seeking. So the verse says, Kfirim Rashu Evu. This is a Pasuk in Tehillim. It's a verse in Psalms. And it reads, young lions, that's what a Kfir is, they suffer poverty, lack, deprivation, hunger. But the seekers of God, they do not lack any good. What does that mean? 
the lion is going to be hungry? Says who? Why are we even talking about lions? Who cares if a lion is hungry? He doesn't get a, a, have a choice to make. So the commentaries on this verse, which is lifted from the 34th Psalm, first say, Rashu, Kfirim Rashu, Milshoin says, Mitsudesin Lashen Rosh, Vaoini, impoverishment, lack. Now, what is the point? He says, Kfirim. Kfirim says in Mitsudes David, are Gedoilim, Vashirim, the rich and the powerful, the important people. Ibn Ezra says, Bnei Adam hadoimim likfirim, people who are like lions. Maybe today we use the expression tigers. Litreif bereivachlam, they rip their prey. Maybe hear the expression, that lawyer is a tiger. That business person, he's a tiger. It's a euphemism. Once upon a time they said he was a young lion, an ambitious lion. Listen to me carefully, my dear friends to the way Rabbeinu David Kimchi Radak explains this verse. He says, Kfirim, sheyesh lehem gvura, that they have heroism, they have stamina, they invest tremendous effort, tremendous force and power. Bibakoshos torfam, when they seek their prey. Pa'amim, Sometimes, Rosh Evu. It doesn't say they're going to be hungry. He says, young lions are destined to be poor and hungry. I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. Radak doesn't say, and it's not true. There are plenty of lions who aren't hungry. Lions, lions, and people who act like lions and tigers. And they're doing very well. You can't make a statement like that. You can't say that the tigers out there are all hungry. But the believers, ha, for them life is fantastic. And there are lots of believers who are suffering, and there are no tigers who are successful. Why? Why? Because in Hashem's infinite wisdom, He decided that this person should have and this person should have not. The point that Ben is making is the have doesn't have because of the strength, he doesn't have because of that ambition. The tiger isn't successful because he acts like a tiger. He'd be successful if he didn't act like a tiger. If he wasn't so aggressive, maybe he'd be more successful. That's not the reason for his success. It's a big difference. This is the emet. This is the truth. Radak says sometimes they'll be hungry. But you say, one second, this guy's a tiger. For sure he's going to succeed. Who says? I know tigers who are failures. Sometimes, all the strength, all the talent, all the ability, and for some reason they're not successful. We all know people who everybody predicted glorious futures for. And they turned out not to be a star, but, but a black hole. And I'm sure you know people who were unimpressive and ended up succeeding in life. You, know, you go back to these yearbooks, I don't know if the kids still make them. The valedictorian is not always the most successful one in life. 
The people who were popular, the kids who were popular, oftentimes become failures. Very often, you look at people in their youth and they seem to have a shimmering and shining future and it doesn't work out that way. You say, I don't understand. It's just like, well, well, such happened or the other happened. Stuff happens. There are no guarantees about any of this. So then, why does that happen? And where does the success come from? Says Rabbeinu Bechaya, the scripture is clear. It comes from the Rabbeinu Shalalam. Just because you're a tiger doesn't mean that you're sated. But Dershi Hashem, those who seek Hashem, that is a guarantee. He never says that they won't be hungry. He says, They won't ever miss what is good for them. Sometimes in Hashem's infinite wisdom, hunger is good for you. I don't claim to understand that. I certainly am not going to be the one to defend it. But we believe that everything that comes from Hashem is good. And Dor Hashem will get goodness. Because that's where goodness comes from. And the more you trust in Hashem, and the more you rely on the true source, the greater your chances for becoming a recipient of those very blessings. That's real. That's what the Shara B'Tachan teaches. So, it's pretty clear that as the Toiv Halavonin puts it, Kfirim are Gidoile Koyach, the mightiest, the Abire Lev, the courageous of heart. You know, the people who take chances, the highly ambitious, the super capable. They may not succeed. But Dorshe, the seeker, who is the seeker? Says the Toiv Halavonin, the seeker is Kiloimar, in other words, Haboitchim. The seeker is the truster. The one who trusts in Hashem, you will not be missing goodness. Because, because that's where goodness comes from. So now that we've established these basics, I would like to further elucidate and elaborate on, on the things, the ideas that we've expressed. In the, um, in the English translation, he gives you a bottom line. He says, the bottom line is, your wisdom and ingenuity or physical strength on its own are inadequate to achieve their goal. I would go further. I would say are irrelevant. They're irrelevant. Because that's not why it happened. Well, if they're irrelevant, why do I have to invest the time? And why do I have to make the effort? That is a good question. A question that we've answered to some degree prior and something that we're going to revisit today and answer in greater detail. The ideas we're going to talk about now are really intrinsic to, to the faith in Hashem that we're required to do our very best, put our best foot forward, albeit not relying on the efforts we make. So let's, let's uh, begin our journey. Invoking a verse, a verse that we've talked about previously, but I, I want to take you back to the source now, and I want to spend time delving into this because what we're, what we're really doing together today is, is um, creating the proper understanding 
of how we should view the work ethic, the efforts we make, and where our success comes from. Some of the things we talked about today can lead you to say, hey, like, why bother? It's a waste of time anyway. It makes no difference, which is wrong. I'll just sit on my hands. If God wants me to be wealthy, I'll be wealthy. If he doesn't, I won't be anyway. Why bother making the effort? And the answer is because Torah says you have to. That's the right thing to do. Healing comes from God, but you have to make the effort of choosing the best doctor or surgeon. And after you make the effort of choosing the best doctor or surgeon, you know, the one who has a 95% success rate versus the surgeon who has a 50% success rate, although each surgery, in truth, is the same 50-50 chance. You see the talented doctor also failed sometimes. Why did he fail? He said, well, this happened and that happened and it was unpredictable. Okay. So there's no guarantee for anything. Well, then why should, I, why should I look for the best surgeon? Why do I have to spend the extra money and make the extra effort? Because Torah says you should. Since we're talking about doctors and health, there's a, a beautiful vignette from the Maggid of Mizrich who once said, if Hashem is the Reifichel Basar, if God, in fact, is the one who brings healing, so why do we look for a bigger doctor? And he said that whenever a doctor goes about his business or her business, there's a, a malach, an angel, that aids or assists him. And he said, a bigger doctor gets a bigger malach. But let's go back to business. Deuteronomy 15. The Torah is talking about a person who completes a period of indentured labor. In English, it's called a slave. It means you don't have the right to quit or to say, I like this work, I don't like that work, or I don't do that. I don't do windows. I'm not making you coffee. I was hired to do something that I feel comfortable doing, something I like doing. I'm not going to do that. So truth be told, you're not obligated. As an employee, you're not obligated. That's a choice you make. You can walk. If you're an indentured laborer, you have no longer the freedom to choose. That's the meaning of a slave from a Torah perspective. It's nothing to do with beatings or abuse, be it verbal or physical. It has nothing to do with a lack of dignity. On the contrary, the Torah says you have to treat him with tremendous dignity. And you're not allowed to abuse a person ever. But this person does not have the ability to walk away from a job. The Torah tells us that when that period of indentured labor ends, you're required to make sure that he leaves with what you would call in modern English a severance package. You give him gifts. You show him appreciation. He's got to figure life out himself now. He had good job security. Make sure he has something to start with. Verse 18 of chapter 15 of Deuteronomy says the following. Let it not be difficult in your eyes. When you send him away, because you must give him as I told you to give him. And the verse finishes off. And God will bless you in all that you do. So on a literal level, the Chizkuni says, whenever Hashem tells us that we should be 
mevater. That we should be a little bigger. Get over it. Move on. It's, not, it's hard for you to do this. You don't want to give to it. Just, just, just be nice about things. And Hashem promises you, you do what I asked you to do. And I, in fact, will make sure you'll be missing nothing as a result because your handiwork will be blessed. So that's the pshat. That's the literal meaning. And that's why it shows up here. But although that is the literal meaning in context of this verse, the broader message is, Uveirachta, Uveirachacha, Hashem alikecha, Hashem will bless you, Bechalashatasa. The broader message is, you need to make the efforts. It doesn't say, Uveirachacha Hashem, you gave the money away, you didn't want to, don't worry, Hashem will take care of you. The money will come from somewhere else. It doesn't say that. It says you'll have to make the effort, but your effort will be blessed with success. So here's the way the Sifri, the Medrash Halacha, on the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and Bamidbar and Vorm puts it. Quote, Oh, Hashem's going to bless me because I did this mitzvah. Because I gave the severance, I took care of the indentured labor on the way out. I didn't slam the door when he left. Well, now I just sit back, relax, and enjoy. And watch the miracles come raining down from heaven. Absolutely not. Talmud loimar b'chol asher You still need to make the effort. Hashem will bless you, but the blessing will manifest itself in the efforts that you will invest. Now, on a literal level, this is talking about that particular mitzvah, and it may be hard for a person to, you know, to open his hand and, and to be generous. But ultimately, what we're really talking about here is... All success in business. This is seen to be, broadly speaking, a general attitude. You need to do your part. As we emphasized in our previous episode, quoting a talk, an edited talk from the Rebbe, in the 31st volume of the Kutasichas on page 173, that you must know that your work is only a vessel, it's an envelope. There's no guarantee that it's going to be filled. Your efforts are not the reason for your success, they are merely the envelope through which the success is delivered. They are the goyrim, they are the cause, which brings forth your sustenance and parnosa from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, God is giving you the money through the mechanism or vehicle you created. And the silly uh, metaphor that they tell, that the fellow would pray every day, God, I should win the lottery. And finally God said to him, okay, buy a ticket. In other words, you need to do your part. Hashem, give me parnosa. Okay, work for a living. You work for a living, I give you a living. You don't work, then you're relying on miracles. Nothing's going to happen. That's not the way Hashem created the world's function. If, if things would be that way, we would have no challenges or tests of doing the right thing. Who would steal? Who would lie? Who would cheat? <laughs> you see, it's all a miracle. It comes from Hashem. The Almighty put us in a situation where we're tempted to lie. 
where we're craving and lusting to cheat and get money in an easy way, or so it seems to us. And therefore, when we restrain ourselves and tell the truth, despite the great difficulty that may be attached to it, and we don't do things which are devious and immoral and unethical, we do our business in an honest way, then we've done a mitzvah. Then we've overcome the test that Hashem has placed upon us. As a result, our world becomes a holier and a godlier place. And Hashem gives us our parnasa in a straightforward manner. The notion that lying and cheating will earn you a living is simply wrong-headed. And just as the notion that the lying and the cheating is what earned you the profit, the notion that your efforts or acumen is what earned you the profit is also wrong-headed. The truth is that Hashem decided to give you, sometimes in spite, in spite of your lying and cheating, in spite of your devi devious approach, in spite of your cunning, maybe even in spite of the inordinate amount of effort you put in. And the proof is that there's lots of liars and cheaters who don't succeed. And lots of people who put in enormous amounts of effort. And they come up empty-handed. And sometimes a person puts an effort and has marvelous success and he's doing the exact same thing and all of a sudden it's not working and he doesn't know what he did. No difference. He doesn't know what changed. Because our success ultimately comes from our Kaddish Baruch Hu. This is not a joke. This is serious. That's what we, the Jewish people, believe. That's the meaning of betachem. Guarantees? No guarantees of anything. It's always going to be a Nisoyen. Until Mashiach comes, there's always going to be the possibility of thinking that your efforts are what earned you your reward. But we believe that's factually untrue. I want to share with you some fascinating teachings that's found in the Hakdama, in the preface to a sefer which is described by its author, the Mittler Rebbe, the second Rebbe in the Chabad Lubavitch dynasty, as Techachas Musa Haskel. It's a, this is a book of rebuke. It's like a, it's an, it's an ethical kind of teaching, a collection of ethical teachings. And these are sobering words, words that are designed to bring people down to a common denominator and not get carried away with self-importance, with lust and craving, with their own success. That's what this book is about. So there's a hakdama, there's a preface. And about, I don't know, I would say about 40% uh, of the way in, on the bottom of page four, the author, the Mittler Rebbe, says, so how does a person maintain the proper attitude? How does a person not get you know, swept or carried away with himself or self-importance? Self and he begins to describe the notion of making a living. He says, our sages said, Ma yasa odam vis asher. What should a person do to become affluent? He should spend a lot of time working on his business. Now, that sounds 
to be what most people will tell you. You want to be wealthy, work hard. You want to make a lot of money, work very hard. You want to make the most money, don't do anything but work. Devote your whole life to work. Care not about your family. Care not about your own uh, spirituality. Don't do anything recreational. Don't do anything which is of a higher interest or stimulation. Just work. You'll be miserable, maybe, but you have a lot of money. That's actually not true. But why did the Gemara say that then? He says, it certainly seems that way. And the Mittler Rebbe explains this in the most fascinating way. He said there are two ways in which a person could engage in business and turn a profit. I'll sum it up in, in easy English. Fast nickels or slow dimes. So you're either selling a lot of merchandise, making a small profit on it, maybe selling less merchandise, making a little bit of a bigger profit on it, Nickels and dimes. You're turning small amounts of profit. And you're doing a lot of it. And it works. Your investment is relatively small. Your profit is relatively small. But this creates the vehicle through which Hashem gives you your parnasa. And then he says, there's the high-risk investments. <laughs> there's the person who puts in a, small, a very large amount of money puts in a relatively small amount of effort, and he sells the product for a tremendous profit. Now, which would you prefer? To work on nickels and dimes? Whether they're fast or slow, but to work on nickels and dimes and bring in small amounts of profit? Go through 100 transactions, and you're making dimes. Go through 200 transactions, and make nickels. Or, go through one transaction, and you make whatever, whatever you made, make $100 like that. Invest 1000 and sell for $100 profit instead of investing a dollar and selling it for $1.10. So he says, it's much easier. It's much easier. It's much quicker. That's the get-rich-quick scheme kind of thing. However, says the Mittler Rebbe, even though that's true when it works... It's not true when it doesn't work. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Because just as you could make a large profit, you could also, you can lose your entire investment. In fact, you could end up in huge amount of debt because you took, you borrowed in order to invest. And now you have to pay the money back. You could bring yourself into total ruin. He says, what's the difference between these two ways? One, he says, seems to follow the course of nature or predictability. You make most of the time, you lose some of the time, but the losses are small, the profits are small, but the margin in the end balances itself out and you make a living. On the other hand, here's a person who works very little and he has tremendous bracha v'atzlocha. Tremendous, tremendous blessings but it can go the other way too. And the Mittler Rebbe says this. He says, you can choose the path that Hashem will choose for you, depending on how you spend your time. 
He says, if a person devotes himself to Torah, and he says, I am going to make sure that I'm a kabbal el ha-Torah, then Hashem may say, you devoted yourself to Torah study? I'm going to create a situation for you where you'll be able to have the time to continue to study Torah. He says, that's how a person can bring his bracha. Bracha doesn't mean that manna is going to rain from the heavens. It doesn't mean that you're going to see miraculous things unfold without effort. It means that your efforts will be crowned with blessing and success. In both instances, he says, it's all in Hashem's hands. The question is, is how invested are you in the ordinary reality? Or what are you doing to earn the added bracha? If a person receives a tremendous amount of bracha and he squanders the time that Hashem gives him, in the end, he won't have that freedom of time or wherewithal. Mishnah says very clearly in the fourth chapter of Pirkei Avot, Rabbi Yonison said, Kol me'oni, anybody who fulfills the Torah out of deprivation, utilizing every tiny bit of time he has to study Hashem's Torah, to perform Hashem's mitzvahs, in the end, he'll be able to do so out of affluence. Anybody who violates the Torah, because of the wealth that he has, Hashem gives you the blessing for a reason. So utilize the blessing appropriately. In other words, there is a good deal of things we can do to affect the outcome, although there's never a guarantee. The more betochen we have, the more trust we place in Hashem, the more we utilize the opportunities that our Kaddish Baruch Hu gives us, the more poised we are to see amazing things unfold. The Mitla Rebbe says, this is actually the story that we hear about in the scripture of Yitzchak and of Yaakov. He said, Yitzchak wasn't in business, he went into farming. He said, farming is just like business. You make an investment. You take those bulbs, those seeds, you put them in the ground, they rot. Now the question is, what comes? For Yitzchak, there was an extraordinary yield. That was a special blessing. He was planning to give tzedakah. So Hashem blessed him despite the fact that there was drought and economic collapse and nobody else's field was succeeding. Hashgacha Pratas means the whole world can be melting down and you could be doing phenomenally well. And you earn those brachas. You earn those blessings which come from Hashem by dedicating yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what brings it to you. Mitla Rebbe says this is the case with Yaakov. Yes, Yaakov worked hard, but at the same time, Yaakov maintained his values. And because of that, Ish, the Ish, which represents explosive growth, was not the sum of his hard work. The hard work created the vessel for a bracha called Ufaratzda. Of course you have to work hard. Of course you have to make the diligent efforts. If Hashem deems it that you have to work less, aren't you fortunate? Now use the time and wherewithal appropriately. 
if Hashem deems it that in natural means you have to work for a significant amount of time, well, then you do what you must. But remember, the bracha comes from Hashem. If a person comes along and says, the only way I can make a living is by working on Shabbos, it's not possible. It looks that way. If you will only overcome that very big test, you will see that a Kaddish Baruch Hu finds other ways to give you parnasa. In other words, the litmus test is always, am I violating the Torah? Am I lying? Am I cheating? Am I stealing? Or am I being ethical and honest and straightforward? Am I keeping Shabbat? Am I coming to Shul and involved in my daily prayers with a minion as I'm supposed to? Am I studying Torah every single day? These are the things that bring us those blessings. Rabbeinu B'chayah's emphasis and his teaching is that our betochen gives us that advantage because the blessings come from Hashem. And I want to conclude with this. In that very talk, the Rebbe suggests something stupendous. He says, the truth is, it's deeper. This notion that it's the blessing of Hashem that brings success. It's not only because a person's sustenance, which comes to him, by virtue of his efforts or transactions, using the medium of nature, is entirely vested ultimately in the hands of Hashem, who is Manigateva. He is the one who controls nature at all times. It's not just that. The Rebbe says it gets much deeper. And not only furthermore, he says, And here, my dear friends, the Rebbe addresses Am Yisrael, members of the nation of Israel. And he says, B'nei Yisrael enam nesunin mi'ikara tachas shiltin v'anhogas ha'teva. We are never shackled or limited by nature. The natural reality has nothing on us. Rather, Kimavur b'chama m'kemis has explained in multiple locations in Torah literature, as a member of Am Yisrael, you will necessarily receive your sustenance, your, your, your needs, from the level of divinity, which is transcendent, entirely transcendent of nature. That is to say, Hashem provides for us in a unique and supernatural way. However, in order for us to receive this beyond rhyme and reason, natural means kind of sustenance from Hashem, we have to do our part. We have to have the maisa. We have to have the action. It's only lack. Only. Not that as he writes here, it's inadequate. It's not just inadequate. 
for us we must know that hurak, it's only mishum sharotza HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You need to make the investment of time and effort. You need to invest yourself in your business matters because that's the way Hashem wanted it to be. That that these miracles that He gives us should come through the means of nature. It should look natural. You did your part and it was a blessing. It looks natural, somewhat. V'lochein hilbish Hashem camouflages. He dresses or masquerades these nisim bilavusha hateva in what seems to be the raiments of nature. Asiyah bedarke hateva, doing your part, so to speak, using natural means. But this asiyah, my friends, these efforts all that acumen and smarts, all that strength and talent, that's not the reason at all. It is only a levush chitzeni. It is only an external garment. It just looks like that made the difference. So that you receive the hashpa, you receive the beneficence, the benefaction from a place that entirely transcends nature. So my dear friends in summation, our blessings, our sustenance, is entirely supernatural. We need to go through the motions, but never make the mistake of thinking that it's those motions that are actually making it happen. The worst thing we can do for our own success is not realize the true source. And the most powerful thing we can do to bring ourselves that blessing is to utilize the time and the wherewithal that Hashem gives us appropriately and to place our trust in Hashem. You do your part because it's got to look natural, but your blessings come from an entirely transcendent source and place. That's the story of our Parnassah, and that's the story of the power of trust and betachen. May Hashem bless us that we have the fortitude and the courage to defy the natural order of things, to remember and be mindful at all times that our brachas come from on high and that we should have the privilege of seeing the goodness in an open and revealed way that will hopefully culminate very, very soon and in our time with the coming of Mashiach Bimheda, will be a menu, a main. Thanks so much for joining. Have a beautiful day.